Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to tell you about this podcast. It's called The DK Project, but it's really The Darren Show. The DK Project is a radio show, but without the radio. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Let's go! Hi, mateys. It's your old pal Shipwreck here from G.I. Joe. And I just want you to know that you're tuned in to my favorite podcast, and that would be the DK Project. Ahoy, mateys. All right, Project fans. New sponsor, Grady Restoration. As a recovering insurance guy and a property owner, I know the value of a good restoration company. When something goes wrong, you want to know you got somebody you can count on. Say you have storm damage, or it could be water, fire, any kind of damage. Don't take the insurance companies on alone. Call Grady Restoration. Let's be honest, you wouldn't go to court without a lawyer. Why would you try and deal with these huge insurance companies all by yourself? Bring in the professionals at Grady Restoration. There's a lot of pop-ups, storm chasers. Go with the company you can trust. With over 26 years in the industry, you make one call, they'll handle it all. Securing the property, the adjuster, the repairs, the paperwork, and everything in between. They've done a few projects for me and I couldn't be happier. I didn't have to do anything. If you're not sure if you have storm damage, make the call. They'll come out, take a look, and let you know what your options are. Take the stress out of a stressful situation. Call the pros at Grady Restoration. For a free consultation, call 763-238-8127 or check them out on the web at GradyRestoration.com. Don't forget to tell them you heard about it on the DK Project. All right, everybody, welcome back to the DK Project. With us today, the legend in the voiceover world, Mr. Neil Ross. How are you, sir? Oh, go on with yourself. I'm good. Thank you. Uh, nice to chat with you. Are you, uh, where are we finding you? Are you in California with all the uh, heat wave? Yes, we've got uh, we've got that, and we also unfortunately have a, a a large number of fires. None of them uh, anywhere relatively close to me, thank goodness. But a lot of folks are in peril, and it's uh, it's a bad situation. I was uh, I was just out uh, in I was in San Diego the last couple of days, dropping the uh, kid off at college, and uh, oh, cats is that hot? We get hot what, here um, in Minnesota, but what college? Uh, San Diego State. Mm, that's where I would have gone if <laughs> if, you, if you would have made it that but, far. Uh, well, you know, I had this uh, mad desire to be on the radio and I thought, uh, you know, if anybody had said, well, you absolutely must have a four year degree if you ever hope to speak into a microphone professionally. I would have somehow figured out how to make that happen. But most people and they were telling me the truth. Uh, essentially, they said, you know, radio is a mer- meritocracy. If you've got the sound, they could care less uh, if you went to college or where you went to college. Yeah. It's trivia to them. I believe and I that. Thought, well, since I don't absolutely have to go and I really detested school, high school. anyway. I didn't realize college would be very different. I thought it would just be the, you know, the uh, 13th grade. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want any more of that stuff. But had I gone to college, I would have gone to San Diego State. And uh, I actually lived in San Diego on and off for about 10 years. Wow. Lovely place. Lovely place. Well, and the heat some... you experienced is highly unusual. Normally, the, they have a, a, a very nice climate. Well, and we, uh, boy, I tell you, I saw it all. There was some weird stuff going on that I'm not, you know, because normally we've been down there a couple times, you know, viewing the school and doing this or that. But it was a different experience, but she's there. She's fine. Everything's going in the right direction until they come down with the virus. And then she's got to come back home, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, I, I really feel for younger people. 
It's a you weird know. time, that's for sure. So at my age, being trapped in the house is almost a positive. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, boy, if I was 19, uh, I'd just be wanting to blow my brains out. You know, well, I can't do anything. Different. That's the benefit. They're, you know, they're coping with it like, uh, you know, this is their normal now. So she's actually handled everything really well, like to the point where I'm kind of waiting for something bad to happen because, mm-hmm. you know, she's actually been really mature about the whole thing because it has been a whirlwind of experience. You know, it's like yeah. everything's different. But anyway, at, enough about me. Least- we're talking at least about they you have, uh, you know, communication. They've got their phones. Yeah. And well, and that's the one thing I did notice and... when I was when I was leaving her there uh, across the country that I don't know how you'd get through it without being able to text. Like, yeah. back, you know, when I was young and we could only have a phone, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I communicate. I, I talk to her too often to deal with a phone. You know, texting is just the way of life for these people. And, so, uh, you know. But anyway, well, when I was when I was nineteen. Uh, well, I was I was I was out of the house by then. But normal experience is one uh, black phone that's rotary and it's in the <laughs> living room. And mom, can I use the phone? All right, but don't stay on too long. And then they're listening to everything you say. <laughs> it's like, it was a different you know, time. I, young uh, people have no concept. What of, do you? So so right out of high school, did you go right into radio? Yeah, I uh, I went to a broadcasting school in New York City, and then shortly after graduating, uh, I landed. Uh, well, I landed a, a a job that only lasted for two weeks, but I had a, a tremendous uh, lucky break. And just as the guy was getting ready to fire me, I got a much better offer to go to Salt Lake City, Utah. And so off I went, and that I spent the first year on the air in Salt Lake City, and. Just spinning records, or were you doing a morning show, or what were you doing? Uh, spinning records. They started me out at night, and they put me on midday. And I think towards the end, I was doing afternoon drive, and I was also doing a tremendous amount of uh, work in the production studio, creating commercials. Oh, which that's over really the long haul of my game, career, right? I finally realized that's what I was good at. I wasn't that good of a disc jockey. I was okay, and I had a few bright moments. But, uh, boy, people would always uh, say, boy, that commercial you did just knocked my socks off, or that promo you created was so dramatic. And I began to realize, really, this is what I'm good at. Yeah, but at the time, radio management had no appreciation for the poor devil slaving away in the production studio. All they thought about were the superstar DJs. So I was getting no love and no money. And I began to wonder who these people were who I heard voicing national television commercials and voicing the national radio commercials that came into the station on tape from the big agencies. And I'd have to dubbed them from the tape to a cartridge. And I began to hear, so I recognized some of these voices. I didn't know their names at the time, but I said, ah, no, that's that guy. He's, he's got another job, you know? And I, I started to wonder who these people were, who, who voiced cartoons, who narrated uh, documentaries. Um, and I had this working theory that they were on-camera actors uh, moonlighting, making a few bucks on the side doing this. But then one glorious day in 1970, I was having a conversation with a record promoter from Los Angeles, and he uttered the term voiceovers. And I said, voice 
voiceovers. What's that? And he said, oh, you know, commercials, cartoons, promos, voiceovers. I said, you mean that's a business unto itself? And he said, oh, yeah. And you could make a living just doing that? And he said, make a living. And he mentioned a guy named Danny Dark, who you may not be familiar with. He's no longer with us. But he was one of the most successful voiceover guys in the 60s and 70s. He was the voice of General Motors. He was the voice of General Foods. He was the voice of NBC. Wow. He says, Danny Dark lives in a mansion in Beverly Hills. Make a living. You know, and I thought, man, uh, you know, I really didn't focus on the money. I, I never have. You know, if it comes, great. And I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. But it, to me, it was... I had this passion to get in this business and, and mix it up with these people and, and hopefully be successful enough at it to just make a living. That's all I wanted to do because I had begun to realize that I was only using 30, 40% of what I had to offer in radio. But I thought this voiceover, if there's, if I, if I sat down and tried to invent a job for myself i couldn't come up with anything much better yeah that would best utilize my weird little bag of tricks so it took me another 10 years to make anything happen but i, I eventually uh, did get to la and i did break into the business as they say but you do you do a lot of characters right like like cartoon is that your sweet spot i mean where have you found your 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 favorite place uh, in you know when you're in the booth. What's your favorite thing to do? Well, I've got to hit the wayback machine again. I always was fascinated by voices and accents. Uh, we didn't have a television set when I was growing up, and um, it was mostly the radio. And I would tune around, and I had no interest in music at that point. I would just listen to the voices. Sometimes I didn't even really understand what they were talking about, but I was fascinated by the deep ones and the high ones and people who had funny accents. And I would, in the privacy of my room, I would try to reproduce what I heard. Really? And it became almost ear. like a, huh? Just by ear, you kind of taught yourself how to, to, to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking of teaching uh, or something that I could turn into a profession. It was just a, a, like a hobby. You know, some kids build model planes and I sat in my room and tried to sound like an Irishman. <laughs> and, you know, my father thought he was just, you know, my kid sits in a room and talks to himself. You know, and uh, in a way, I can't blame him. That, yeah, that's what I was way. doing. But it, it did have some purpose in the end. So anyway, long story short, I, I got seduced by rock and roll music, wanted to be a part of that, had no musical talent, stumbled into the idea of being a disc jockey, started to do that. But there really wasn't any way for me to use these voices as a DJ. I tried. Management would discourage me. It was a, an era where they they liked the deep voice guys who talk, you know, real fast and okay, gang. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm there doing a duck voice and they're going, that's, a, that, <laughs> that's silly. Don't do that. Uh, stop that. Sometimes I could, I could do a voice or an accent in a commercial or a promo, but I was using very little of that. And one of the things that turned the tide for me was I got a job uh, with a friend of mine. We were programming a couple of uh, Mexican FM stations that were broadcasting into San Diego in English. <clears throat> and we stumbled into the idea of creating this comedy series, which we did. 
And we had a marvelously talented woman. She played all the women in the show. And then the, the, the guy I worked with, he basically played the lead character. And I played everybody else. <laughs> Somewhere between 15 and 20 different characters sustained over, I think we did 75 or 80 episodes. Wow. The thing was called The Adventures of the O.B. Ranger. O.B. St stands for Ocean Beach, which is a, a community in San Diego, where at the time it was alleged that's where most of the pot dealers lived. Ooh. And now, I have no idea if this was true or not. Yeah, <laughs> but but the the OB Ranger was this bumbling and inept narc who bore a strange resemblance to the uh, Lone Ranger, and um, he had a an Indian companion. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the point of this this you can still find a couple episodes on on YouTube. Somebody put them up there if anybody's curious. But after a year of that, I, having created these characters, sustained them, played them through a 75, 80 episode run, I thought to my, I began to listen to the Saturday morning cartoon shows. And I, I would think to myself, you know, I, I, I'm about as good as they are, I think. Yeah. There was nobody around to tell me if this was a delusion or not. I, <laughs> I had to just go up there and find out the hard way. But you know, I would vacillate between, yeah, I could do that. Nah, if I shot, they'd kick me out. I, I, I'm not as good as they are. And I, but eventually I summoned up my courage, got to L.A. And, and, and got into animation. And, yeah, animation was a huge part of my career. Uh, you take that out of my career and I don't have much of a career. I mean, I've done many other things. Uh, very proud of having narrated 20 three, four, five episodes of Nova for public television. And uh, one year I was the announcer on the Oscars and, you know, all of that I'm, I'm proud of, but uh, animation uh, was it. That's the first thing I broke through on. And it, and it was very, very good to me. It had to be a lot different back then. You know, like I've been, in, I've been in it now for about a year and a half and, uh, and, you know, it's all online. It's all, you know, audition here, send a file, audition here, send, where you had mm -hmm. to like go audition for people because there's no way to communicate it over the air. You know, there's no way to send anything uh, electronically. You had to go with a tape or a reel and drop it off or whatever, right? Well, yeah, the reel, the, the demo, as we call them, all that would do is get you through the door. It wasn't like somebody, I heard a voice on your demo and that's what I want. They would just listen for range and versatility and they'd say, all right, uh, you're versatile enough. You'll come up with something we like. So come and audition for this part. <laughs> and um, yeah, you're right. I, I suffer the same frustration. They send me copy with uh, attached to an email and I record it to the best of my abilities and send it in. And, but in those days, you were reading sometimes for the people who were going to do the hiring and sometimes for people, maybe just one rung below them. Okay. And, and you could, you know, we used to sometimes audition with one eye on the copy and one eye on the booth and you try to read the body language, you know, is what I'm doing uh, hitting a nerve or should I abandon ship and go to something else? Oh, wow. <clears throat> and, and what I find is it's like that old game of telephone. I don't know if you played that when oh, you were yeah. a kid, you get in a circle, somebody whispers a secret and it goes around the circle. By the time it gets to the other side, it's completely different <laughs> yeah, from exactly. what, it, what it started out as. And I think that happens with auditioning. 
you know, by the time it, it goes through the various layers of uh, whoever's holding the audition and then down to the casting people, it's a, by the time it gets to you, the instructions are probably nothing like what they want or the, yeah, the way they started. Yeah, I call, I sure. call that on kind of auditioning, you know, uh, uh, trying to hit the invisible dartboard. Wow. Um, but you, you've but, got, you've got quite a list of characters and, and shows. And I mean, you're, you're not just, uh, you know, uh, auditioning, you're doing all this stuff. You've been in a lot of stuff. And so did it just snowball? Like once you got that first animation deal that you're then, you know, you're known for, for being able to do all these voices. Well, I was very lucky. I got, uh, you know, I got in and I had a, a couple of regular uh, deals with Hanna-Barbera wow. and some other companies. This was the Saturday morning stuff. Yeah. And there wasn't, there wasn't that much of it, to be honest with you. And they didn't do that many episodes. Most shows did 13 a year. Wow. Was it well, really competitive when you, when you were doing that? It wasn't. It wasn't. It's, it's, it, was com it was a complete 180 from today. <laughs> today, everybody and his Uncle Steve thinks they can do voiceovers. Yeah. So you're competing. And, and we've got the internet. You can send MP3s anywhere. So you're competing against the whole damn country. Yeah. The world. When, when I got there, you had to live in L.A. because that's where they recorded this stuff. Yeah. And there was a relatively small talent pool and the buyers were more than happy to use these people over and over and over again. I mean, they were very good. You know, yeah. a guy like Dawes Butler uh, w was fantastic. Of course you use him over and over again. He's, he's brilliant. Yeah. But it made it tough for the, for us younger. And I put that in quotes cause I was almost 40 when I broke in. Wow. But back at that time, most of the big hitters were in their sixties. Wow. So to them, I was a kid. I'd go to auditions and, hey, kid, how's it going? You know, well, let me tell you, my boy, here's what you, you know, and I'm 40 years old. Well, that's that's good because I'm in my 40s and I'm gonna, I need to break through. So what you had to do was wait for the time when Dawes didn't couldn't be there for some reason. They go, all right, well, let's get this kid in here and see what he can do. You know, this kind of thing. But then, and this was a, an astonishingly lucky thing for me, and I didn't even really realize it until retrospect, but Ronald Reagan got elected president. And I, I must confess, I'm not a fan of Ronald Reagan, but he did me a huge solid he appointed a guy uh, to run the FCC who was into deregulation oh. and they did a lot of deregulation. And what they part of what they deregulated was children's television. And it suddenly became possible to make money by creating a syndicated television cartoon and running it on the independent channels in the afternoons after school. What was it before and that? Just Saturday morning and a that few on it. Sunday morning. And that was there was little or no uh, syndication. Wow. Be because you couldn't really make that much money. They had so many restrictions on the advertising. Huh. But when Mr. Reagan's pal did away with that, suddenly now we can make a buck doing this stuff. Right. And uh, we're not recording any uh, 13 episodes, uh, Daddy. Uh, we're going Monday through Friday. And in, to get to go to 13 weeks without a repeat, we got to do 65. Whoa, cha-ching. Yeah, indeed. In fact, the first big series I got into was Voltron. Voltron. Defender of the Universe. <laughs> and they, they, we did 125 wow. of those. 
Yeah. How long would it take you to do an episode? Because they're what, 30 minute shows? Mm -hmm. So how long does it take you to do, you know, like, is it, is it, if you're pumping out one a day, I mean, if they're showing one show a day, how long is it taking you as one or multiple voices in the show to put a show together? Like, how long does that take? Well, it, it, Voltron was unusual in that, uh, they had purchased already existing footage from Japan, thought about translating it and just uh, overdubbing. Okay. And then for various reasons that wasn't working. So they created original episodes and then had to hunt through the footage to find pictures that fit the story they'd written. This had to be, I had no involvement in this. It sounds like, you know, three-dimensional chess, but somehow they did it. Wow. The point is we had to, we never saw a frame of picture. We saw nothing. I I saw a drawing, I guess, of my character. That's about it. You were to be handed a script, and to the right of the line you did would be a time, 6.5, 6.5 seconds. That was the amount of time the character's lips moved. <laughs> so they would accept uh, 6.4 or 6.6 or 6.5, but you had to hit those times. And, of course, the longer speeches, like 23.5, well, that's uh, your 27. Can you speed it up? Oh, that's 21. That's too fast. Let's oh, slow it down a little. Well, that's 24. Six, that's too long. <laughs> Come on. You know, I mean, you, you, it's, it's sort of hard to act to a stopwatch, but that's what we had to do. So we could not work as a cast because it was just too cumbersome. So we would do our come in and do our individual lines. You know, how many characters I would show up. Peter Cullen one? would leave. I would do my part. I would leave. Michael Bell would come in and do his. But that was that was just Voltron. And that, as I recall, it would take one to two hours for me to do what I had to do. Generally speaking, it really depends on the director. Some directors move it. Uh, the late uh, lamented Gordon Hunt was wonderful. He was the, the guy who directed all the Hanna-Barbera stuff. He kept it moving. He a uh, lot of energy. Uh, I don't think I was ever, ever beyond two hours with him, and, wow. and usually a lot less than that. Wally Burr, who directed uh, Transformers and G.I. Joe and a number of others, uh, he, on the other hand, would sometimes take eight hours for one show to, to do. Yeah. 22 minutes of animation. Oh, um, and, and there, we eventually, eventually there was a strike and the big sticking point on the strike is we want a four hour session. We do not, this is really getting into inside baseball, but uh, at one time animation was just a letter that was attached to the big screen actors guild on-camera contract and it said you know you'll work the same hours as the on-camera people which was eight right without it going into overtime well on-camera is incredibly time-consuming and there's a reason that they need them for all that time but to record 22 minutes of animation shouldn't take eight flipping hours wow but Wally would we would rehearse for four hours this and really? then break for lunch and then come back and record this thing for another four hours <laughs> And we just finally put our foot down and said, if you can't get 22 minutes of animation in four hours, you need to find another line of work. And oh, my God, you should have heard the producers screaming and yelling. If this four hour session thing happens, the end of Western civilization will happen. (laughs) This is just we can't do this. We got it. And they've been producing them in four hours or less ever since. It's it's not rocket science. How many characters did you do on Voltron? 
Uh, other than incidental characters, I was uh, basically two, uh, Keith and Pidge. Okay. Keith, if you remember, was the young guy, and as the years roll by, it gets harder and harder to sound like a teenager. <laughs> and then Pidge was this weird voice I came up with. In a moment of panic, I was new to the genre, and I kept waiting for someone to go, this guy is just a jumped-up disc jockey. Get him out of here. Right. Get a real actor. Call your bluff. So I showed up to do Voltron thinking I was just going to play Keith and they shoved this picture on, under my nose and said, what do you got for this guy? <laughs> no, I came up with this ridiculous voice, which they bought. Wow. And then I find out he's a regular. He's going to be in every episode. <laughs> but then I was I was stuck with him. But just those two. And, and then when they did a uh, they brought the show back. Voltron, the next dimension or the fifth dimension <laughs> forgotten and i played a character called amalgamus amalgamus who was sort of a robot as i recall wow so where'd you go from there then well it all sort of you know as i say when these regulations were changed uh, everybody started wanting to do these 65 episode shows so at the same time that I was recording Voltron, I was also doing G.I. Joe and Transformers. It all happened over the same uh, time period. I, I For a, about a year or more, I did nothing but animation. Wow. I remember I went to a place where they did casting for commercials. I hadn't been there in a long time. And the lady who ran it said, oh, we finally got you in here. We've been trying to get you in here, but you're always busy. <laughs> you know, that was another reason that we were mad about the eight hour session. We missed out on other stuff. Yeah. We were trapped in a room with Wally Burr. And I don't want to sound ungrateful, but, you know, no job in voiceovers is going to make you wealthy. You, you or or even reasonably well off you have to you have to do a lot of things and Volume. combined they they hopefully add up to a nice chunk of change but right. if you're book you know if, if i'm booked out for the day stuck with wally burr and somebody calls up and says boy we'd sure love neil to do a national uh, ford commercial today oh well i'm sorry he's not available <laughs> oh well we'll just get someone else yeah and and then there's the auditions you miss out on. So it really was um, it was costing us money in a wow. way. And as I say, I, I you know, and, and Wally, uh, he's not with us anymore, but he he's more than entitled to hover over my shoulder. The ghost of Wally Burr and said, <laughs> you know, there's only two shows you've done that are revered and remembered and that people hold conventions for and fly you there to sign autographs. And those are the two shows I voice directed. So maybe there was a reason that we took eight hours, kid. Mm. And, you know, and I would, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't begrudge him that. Yeah. He, wow. You know. That's awesome. But GI Joe, that was big. That was a long time too, right? That's a long run. Yeah. Yeah, I think we I think we were up into 80 episodes somewhere in there when they finally took it off to Canada. And I don't know what happened to it after that. But so yeah. so if you do a character like in G.I. Joe or Voltron or whatever and they take it to Canada, they just find someone else to do it or how what, what happens then? 
Um, in some cases, I, they may have replaced uh, us with soundalikes, but you got to remember that show, they were always creating new characters because they wanted to sell more action figures. Oh, right, right. So, uh, generally, the, the Canadians were, were playing new characters. I got you. Yeah. And then, and then you went on to a, a pile of other stuff. What was that? What was some of the more popular ones that you, that you've done? I see you've now started doing some video game stuff. Um, what, what, what is, what are you most known for? If you, uh, if you had to pick. Well, I think most people remember me as Keith and Voltron, Shipwreck and G.I. Joe, uh, Springer and Transformers, Hook Slag and Bone Crusher too. And then the other one, I'm just going by the characters people reference at conventions when I do them. The other one that's that's very popular uh, was a uh, happened in the mid '90s, and uh, that was uh, Spider-Man, the animated series, and I was Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin. Oh wow! Okay. And um, people re- people remember that. There were a lot of other shows along the way that, for one reason or another, didn't catch on and. I see you did the uh, animated series of Rambo. Yes, yeah, that actually was quite successful. Did you uh, did you get to play the man himself or what? Yes. Oh, yes, yes. And that's uh, that's a funny story that I tell in this here book that I have wrote, uh, "Vocal Recall: A Life in Radio and Voiceovers," available now at. Uh, Amazon, and uh, the best place to go is my website, neilbook.com, and you'll see all the links there, N-E-I-L-B-O-O-K.com. It's available in print. It's available in Kindle. It's available. There's an audio version. Audible has the audio version. Oh, did you do that yourself? Yes, I I won a highly competitive audition for the chance to voice the book, (laughs) and um, yes, I do it myself. Uh, but anyway, the story, yeah, the Rambo story, um, as I say in the book, a number of my more successful uh, animation uh, jobs have grown out of failed impressions. And this was one of those cases. I went in to audition for uh, the part of Rambo. And they said, now we do not want a Sylvester Stallone sound alike. I said, got it, got it. All right, roll the tape. And then I start doing this kind of thing here, you know, and I'm doing it. And they're going, that's great. That's great. And I said, I thought you didn't want a Sylvester Stallone sound. That doesn't sound like Sylvester Stallone, they said. And I said, you're absolutely right. It doesn't. (laughs) Because I'm no dummy. (laughs) And essentially, I got the job with this voice that didn't, I thought, was an... (laughs) impression of sylvester stallone but they didn't wow. i was just trying to make them laugh you know yeah soften them up before i hit them with my good stuff <laughs> and uh <laughs> how long did that one run for i'm not entirely sure um but j- judging by some of the checks that arrived it it did quite well nice uh, and we did 65 of those wow Rambo, wow. The Force of Freedom, I think the show was called. 65 episodes. That's a lot. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. That's, what about the Dukes? Uh, yeah, the Dukes. Um, that's going back. Uh, that was a Hanna-Barbera show. 
uh, and they used to do this kind of thing. Uh, they'd cut a deal with, um, you know, a live action television show to do an animated version. Yeah. So they did that with Mork and Mindy. They did that with a bunch of shows. And, you know, one of their one of their gimmicks would be they would it would be completely different from the on camera version of the show. They would have the characters go around the world, of course. So that's what they did with uh, the two characters in uh, the Dukes of Hazard. Had them traveling around the world, and Hanna Barbera knew that I had a plethora of accents in my kit bag. So they brought. I think I was in almost every episode. Oh, really? But I did not actually meet the two Dukes of Hazard. I met the two guys who briefly replaced them when they went on strike. Oh, so did they voice those characters themselves? Uh, yes, yes. Bow but I have a feeling when it? they settled with the other guys, they came in and replaced whatever these guys had done. I don't know. Right, right. Wow. But I only did the one session with them. The rest of the time, they brought uh, Hanna Barbera brought me in, and I just did the lines uh, in the clear. So you were doing all the uh, all the foreigners that they were running into through mm -hmm. yeah the Greek uh, the Greek on the restaurant you know <laughs> this kind of thing and uh, but it was I got to meet uh, Denver Pyle ooh you nice. know you know him yeah a wonderful character actor he was in Bonnie and Clyde and you know and he was he was so nice he uh, you know I I'm the odd man out they all know each other and. Uh, I come in and I'm just kind of standing there and he got up out of his chair and he walked over and he shook my hand and he said, hello there, I'm Denver Pyle. <laughs> and I, I said, oh, how nice to meet you. I'm Neil Ross. And, uh, but I thought, what a nice thing to do. You know, everybody else was just ignoring me, but he, uh, nice. Yeah. Nice man. I, at least judging by that brief exposure I had with him. <laughs> oh, cool. What about Darkwing Duck? Yeah, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember. I don't, I think I had sort of a semi-regular part in that. Yeah. I, my memory, the only thing I remember is how impressed I was with Jim Cummings, who played the Darkwing Duck character. He came into the business a little bit after I did. And I'd, I'd sort of seen him at auditions, you know, oh, this, who's this guy? I haven't seen him before. And then. Right. Somebody told me, oh, that's uh, that's Jim Cummings. Oh, he's incredibly talented. And so I hated him immediately. But uh, <laughs> no, I was so impressed with what he did when I got in there. I thought, wow, this guy really is good. Wow. And he was and is. Yeah. So you you continue to go and just kind of hone your own characters and, and, and make it up as you go along? Or, or is there some kind of training that you did? To help you along the way, I know right now there's a billion and one coaches out there that can help you with this mm -hmm. kind of thing, but it, it kind of sounds like you kind of went your own way and did your own thing and, and figured it out. Yeah, I, I, was, I think I was pretty close when I got to L.A. I remember I took a meeting with an agent, which is, was really lucky. I, I, we had a mutual friend. Most agents say, just send a demo, and if we're interested, you'll hear from us. Yeah. But what if you're not interested? You won't hear from us, which mm -hmm. doesn't help. You know, you need somebody to say, this is your strength. This is your weakness. This is what you need to work on. But it's very tough to get that. But I did have a meeting with this guy. He hated my uh, commercial stuff. Ah, you sound like a blankety blank radio announcer. Well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> well, that, that, was, uh, and that was a whole thing I had to learn. But then he played my character reel and he brightened up and he said, this is 
really good. This is really good. Ah, it's hopeless, though. You'll never get in. Hanna-Barbera, they hire the same five people over and over again. You'll never wow. make it. Well, he was wrong about that. But, you know, that gave me some hope. But uh, I took some acting classes, you know, uh, when I got to L.A. And I was horrible. <laughs> and, uh, then when I got the G.I. Joe part, uh, I, I, I really, for the first couple of years I was in the business, I alluded to it earlier. I, I kept waiting for somebody to go, this guy's just a disc jockey. Get rid of him. And uh, Michael Bell, who was sort of the Clark Gable of voiceovers in those days, just a phenomenally successful guy, said, uh, I'm, I'm giving uh, animation workshops, you know. And I said, sign me up. Nice. So I would go to his workshop at night, and then the next morning we'd be at Wally's uh, recording an episode of G.I. Joe. So I was <laughs> sort of learning on the job, as it wow. were. And, and, and Michael would uh, teach us something, and I'd use it the next day. Wow. That's cool, though. Hands on. Yeah. Get right in the fire. Yeah. And that's about all the formal training. Really? Michael's workshop and that little acting class I took. And this is what, this has been your career. This is all what you've done since high school. Yeah. In one form or another, as I say, just for my own personal enjoyment. And then when we did that comedy show down in San Diego, that had some purpose to it. I just somehow, if there's a story and my character is in that story, I know how to say the lines. It's, you know, I, I understand the story. And uh, so is that an acquired taste or have you just always been able to do that? I guess I've always been able to do that. And maybe everybody is, I don't know. Although it's, it's the strangest thing. You know, if somebody were to take some of what I've said today and type it up and ask someone to read it. Yeah. Suddenly it would not sound like me because they are reading this thing off a piece of paper. Right, right. You know, we don't need, you know, the, the old joke, the actor, what's my motivation? And the director says, scale plus 10, you idiot. <laughs> uh, but really, you can't act without understanding the story, without what is motivating my character. Why is my character saying this? And as soon as you lock into why they're saying it, you know how to say the line. You know what the emphasis should be. You know, and I... And I when I got out of high school, I, I was, you know, destined for radio and voiceover. And uh, then they told me what they're going to pay. And I'm like, well, that ain't going to work. So I went and mm. went and found another path. But now, now that I've come back to it, uh, it, 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 that's the hardest thing to convey to people who think that voiceovers just get on the microphone and, and, you know, you're, you're recording mm-hmm. and you're doing commercials. It's not that the acting portion of it and the, and the making it sound like your own words portion of it really hard to do it's not for the faint of heart at all it's it's hardcore and it and and it you know a lot of like i do a lot of podcasting and off the hip stuff where i'm running my mouth about words that you know my words my my script um but when you're reading someone else's words and the way they've written it and the way they want you to say it very hard to do i would encourage anyone who's you know, thinking that this is a, an easy world to take a run at that because it's not at all easy to make it sound your own. You know, especially in a in a voiceover world, you don't have 
you know, the actor, uh, you know, they can't look at you. They can't see your gestures to help you out mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. sell what you're doing. It's all in your voice, you know, especially when right. you're doing animation, same thing. You know, you got to make these characters sound like they're doing what they're doing and, and people can't see you. It's all on your, mm -hmm. uh, your pipes to, to get it done which is very difficult to do. So the fact that you've done it for the period of time that you have is, is commendable. It's really, uh, you know, it's really uh, not as easy as people think it is. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, I, most people think you, you, you come up with some sort of a zany voice and that's, that's it. But now that zany voice has to act. Well, and on top of that, you have to be able to do that same, you know, uh, you know, half, half Rambo impersonation, you know, for 62 episodes, that's a lot considering, you know, you just came up with this voice and now you have to make it act and continue to do it over and over and over again. It's, it's really, uh, uh, it's an art and, uh, and you've obviously, uh, got the keys to the, the, the combination because, uh, you're nailing it, man. You have done a lot of stuff. What, what are you currently working on? Anything? Oh, probably my biggest claim to fame at the moment is I'm the announcer for uh, Press Your Luck, which is a summer replacement uh, series on ABC. Okay. Sunday nights at uh, nine o'clock starring the lovely Elizabeth Banks. Ooh, nice. And I'm also the voice of the dreaded uh, Whammy. Oh, are you really? Yeah. That, yeah. That, is that what that Press Your Luck show is, is when they're trying to avoid the Whammy? Yeah, no Whammies, no Whammies, no Whammies. Yeah. <laughs> And then I come on. Only I'm sped up. It could be Winston Churchill, you know. It's... Yeah. <laughs> wow. How how so? How did you go from characters to uh, announcing the, a, a game show? That, this is actually the first game show I've ever done. I used to wonder about them, and I was told, and this was true at the time, that uh, back in the '80s and '90s, the announcer also had to do the warm up of the crowd oh, in the beginning. And I, I thought I, that's not for me. I don't have that kind of personality. Yeah. I can do the announcing fine, but okay. Where are you from folks? Oh, they're <laughs> from Kansas. Well, here's a joke about Kansas. You know, it's not like, yeah. and I've worked on a bunch of sitcoms over the years. And again, they have live audiences and there's a warm up guy, usually a guy. And I thought, what a thankless job. I mean, Anytime they stop taping, he's got to jump in and then keep the energy up. And the minute they're ready to roll again, he's in the middle of a joke and they go, all right, shut up, cut it, cut it. We're ready. Wow. And I thought, oh, God, I, this is not for me. Anyway, turns out that this is not the case anymore, that the announcer can just be the announcer. And this uh, audition came into my inbox and I did it. And to my amazement, they said, you're the guy. Well, and that's, is that, so then are you in studio when that's happening or do you get it afterwards and, and, uh, add it after, or are you right the there? The first, the first season I was there, uh, the second season, they chose to have me do it in post-production, which ah. saved me a lot of driving, but I kind of like going to those things, you know, it's like we're putting on a show. Yeah. Right. Wow. And there's craft services and this is fun. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so so is this the second season of it then? Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Mm. And how many of those do you do if it's the summer? Uh the first season we did eight. Uh this year we did thirteen. Wow. Huh. And we'll see where that takes us. You know, I don't know how they're going to do a game show under the current conditions, because to me the audience is critical. Yeah. 
Yeah. But if you if you can't jump jam jam a bunch of people into seats, uh, what what the hell are you going to do? But you know, uh, these uh, show business people are endlessly inventive, and uh, you know, I'm sort of looking at what they're doing now. Uh, with I have no idea when this will air, but it, uh, as we record this, the uh, final night of the Democratic convention is uh, looming yeah. just ahead, and I'm quite impressed with what they've managed to come up with. It's a uh, whole new world. Without, you know, an, uh, an arena filled with screaming people wearing silly hats. Well, do you think uh, that it, it, it will become the new norm? Like, think of how much money they're saving by doing all this yeah. through technology. I, uh, there, I think, you know, there are going to be some profound uh, changes in not just show business, but everything. Yeah. Even in a best case scenario where the vaccine is invented and it works and everybody right. takes it. Even then, there's going to be some things that are that are that have changed and won't go back to the way they were before. That's my opinion. I totally, yeah. I'll be curious to see how they 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 spin it off tonight and uh, and do the big hoorah because it uh, mm -hmm. it is it's just a different world. And I personally, I kind of like it. I like that people are wearing masks when they're putting your food together, and I like when I got an extra seat next to me on the plane. You know, mm -hmm. obviously, it's a huge inconvenience for a lot of these companies who are losing a ton of money, but it uh, it does work out nice, you know, on some effects that I hope that once the pandemic is over, that they'll keep some of these cleanliness uh, rituals going, uh, you know, <laughs> ongoing. One of the things I think that industry uh, businesses is in the middle of discovering is that you don't have to make people come somewhere to do their job necessarily. Yeah. You know, you don't have to fly and uh, stay in a hotel and all the rest of it. You can do it like we're doing it. Yeah. Well, and, on and, Zoom. And that's, and, and that's um, the whole maybe, thing. The commercial maybe, real estate you know, going to get killed, but it'll recover eventually. And, L, you know, L.A. traffic was so awful. And I one of the few nice things about the pandemic is you can jump on a freeway and, and get somewhere in a reasonable <laughs> length of time. Of course, once you get there, you can't do anything. Well, and it's, you know, like I said, I was just in San Diego and, and you know, you hop on something that's going to, it's seven miles away, but it's, you know, 15 to 20 minutes to get there. You know, where I'm in, in uh, I'm west of Minneapolis, 15 to 20 minutes, I can, I've gone through two towns by that time. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just, even when it's good, it's really not that good. And that's San Diego. Mm. LA's got to be just ridiculous. So I couldn't well, imagine when it's bad. Um, but you're probably getting a little bit of breathing room right now. Have you gone anywhere or are you hunkered down? I'm pretty much hunkered down once in a while. I, I need to go somewhere for some reason. And it's just, it's just such a breeze. That freeway is, uh, <laughs> not wide open, but it's moving. Yeah. I mean, back in, back in the good old days, uh, from about 2 PM on heading South on the 405, you're just looking at some guy's bumper and <sighs> stop and start and stop. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I that and and you guys got a homeless problem. It's yeah, uh, yeah. It's crazy. I was I was shocked. I was I you know I I thought it was bad, but this was ugh, crazy. But and you were down in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. got to be ten times in uh, in L.A. Yeah, yeah. It's un, it's most unfortunate. That's crazy. Well, so when did the book come out? Is the book new? No, the book's been out uh, maybe a year and a half, something like that. And I just uh, keep doing appearances like this one. And 
reminding people that it's there. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a lot of what we've been talking about. It's basically my professional life. There's a wee bit in there about my personal life, but 98% of it is what happened to me professionally. So if you were a fan of any of these shows like Voltron or Transformers or uh, G.I. Joe, I talk about the recording sessions and the actors I worked with and some of the funny stuff that happened. And Wow. It's called Vocal and Recall. Vocal Recall. Yeah, that was the working title. And I would say, now I'm going to come up with something better. <laughs> but uh, for now, that's the working title. And I never did come up with anything better. <laughs> so so run with it. It's a, that's a nice sized book. You, uh, you must have had a yeah. lot to say. I was going to say, uh, if all else fails and this book bores the hell out of you, it's a great doorstop. Yeah. So you can't go wrong. Really. It's a win-win. Exactly. It's a win-win. Well, Mr. Neil Ross, we can't thank you enough for the other time. We're going to wrap up here with uh, with a few final thoughts. We want everybody to go over to neilbook.com to get that book, Vocal Recall. That's N-E-I-L-B-O-O-K.com. What else you got going on, sir? Is there a uh, social media? You do any of that kind of stuff? Not a whole lot. I'm on Facebook. You can track me down there. And that's really about it. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a Luddite with this stuff. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it seems like every week I open a newspaper and some clown has uh, written something stupid on Twitter and lost their entire career and their life. And, you know, to me, walking around with a cell phone with Twitter on it is like carrying a hand grenade around in your pocket. That's uh, so true. That's what so seems true. Uh, like a clever idea at two in the morning turns into uh, yeah. <laughs> utter disaster by uh, 10 o'clock the next day. I keep thinking about that woman. I forget what she tweeted, but it was something she shouldn't have. And she got on a plane to, I think it's South Africa or somewhere. And by the time the plane landed, she'd already been fired. Oh, wow. Wow. No, I didn't hear about that. I do. I do yeah. have a few friends who are pretty, uh, you know, big in the industry. And they're like, the minute I have a drink, I'd get rid of the phone. Like I can't. Yeah. Like, you know, it's yeah. just too risky because you're right. It could it could destroy everything uh, very fast. But we'll uh, we'll direct them towards Facebook to uh, track you down, see what you're up to. And then uh, everybody can go over and check out the uh, the game show to see if they're getting any. Uh, wh are they whammies? Is that what it is? Whammies. Whammies, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. actually whammies is what you don't want. That's what you don't want. All right, yeah. press your luck. Is that when the whammy comes, he takes all your stuff away. It's over. It's the end. Yeah. Well, Neil, yeah. we can't thank you enough, man. I uh, will check in on you somewhere down the road and see what you're up to. But it sounds like uh, you're staying busy. I like it. Keeping uh, well, keeping uh, things rolling along. So we thank you, and uh, we'll check in with you later on. Sounds good. Thanks, Darren. I Thanks, really man. appreciate it. You bet. Good talking to you. That's it. That's the end. That's a wrap. Read the shtick. That's a wrap for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends. If you'd like to reach out, you can use the studio line at 612-504-6500 or by email, the DK Project Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, there's always social media at the DK Project Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.